You're listening to Nurses on Fire, the podcast for nurses by nurses aspiring to financial independence. This is our weekly conversations with the CFP edition, where certified financial planners join us to have honest money conversations that guide nurses like you on their path to financial freedom. If you want to get your questions answered, make sure you head over to nursesonfirepodcast.com slash ask to be featured in an upcoming episode. Have you started on your journey towards financial independence or want to do better with your money and don't know where to start? Well, this training is for you. I encourage you to head over to financiallyintentional.com live to sign up for our next free masterclass where I'll teach you the techniques I've used and taught my clients to master money and build wealth. During this free training, you'll learn the most powerful weapon you have at your disposal to launch into financial freedom. The budgeting method that will free up thousands of dollars a month to achieve your financial goals. The common mistakes to avoid while paying off debt and how to rapidly slay debt. You don't want to miss this. So head over to financiallyintentional.com live or click the button in the show notes to register for our next free masterclass. All right, Nurses on Fire, we are back with Lisa Peterson, our Certified Financial Planner. And today we're going to talk about leaving a legacy for your family while you're still alive instead of waiting until you have your, you know, waiting until you die and you pass on your money through a will or a trust. So, hey, Lisa. Hello. All right. So I thought that this was pretty interesting. And this came out of an article written, or a book, actually. But it was, it was an article you posted. But the, book, the title of the book is called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. And it's kind of a guide to basically giving your children things that they can use to build their financial legacy while you're still alive. And um, there's a couple of things that he talked about in the book that we'll dive into. But I think it's interesting for us because we're at different points in our lives where our children are, my children are really, really young. You have an adult daughter and a son that's in high school while my kids are under six years old. And so they have a longer road before they do things like go to college or buy a house, but these are some immediate decisions for you. So I like to see kind of like where we both are and then kind of the decisions that we're making around what we're leaving for our children. So can you talk about what you've done for your kids so far? So a couple things, my mom passed away in 2007. And so when I, she had a trust that we had very carefully set up knowing that that time she was, had been sick with cancer. And so being able to designate money to go into the kids' college funds or education funds was something that we started at that time. Because my husband and I have always invested in real estate and looked at the money, like we knew we could get better return on our investment in our real estate projects. It has not been a focus for us to save in education funds in the way that traditionally people do. And I think that's a very conscious decision for each person. Like you can make more money and make sure and have that money available to pay for college with your, with an investment or a side business or something like that. Like it's worthwhile to think about. But anyways, we did that 
it paid off. My daughter ended up having money from leftover from my mom to, to be able to help with her college education. So her hundred thousand dollar education ended up between scholarships and other things costing us maybe $30,000. And she graduated with no debt whatsoever. So that was great. But what also we have been thinking about, so now she's in that place of, you know, being in a relationship and they're thinking about the future and we're already starting to figure out ways where we can be helping them now because, you know, even something as simple, Nasima, as looking at a a trajectory of investments for these folks that are in their 20s or even in their teens when they start saving or they start investing, the payoff is so big for them over 30, 40, 50 years. So I think that's where my decisions come from, which is if I can help a child even you know, in their 20s or 30s do something with their money or get set up early and start that trajectory as soon as possible in saving, then that is going to pay off far more than me holding on to it where it doesn't make as big of an impact as what it will for them because they're going to have a longer time frame. So that's the mindset that I'm approaching all of this from. So if I can help my daughter buy a house or buy a duplex where, you know, we're, we're buying the house together first time and then they're renovating it or they're doing something to create equity in that house. And then that starts to grow and give them the ability to get into homeownership. Like I'm all for it. So I'm looking for those sorts of opportunities in their twenties and thirties, preferably something that they can use sweat equity to build more value versus passive investing, like me putting money into a stock account, isn't all that exciting to me because it's like, that's great. She can save money, but if I can give her a bigger chunk and it can be something like for a home purchase or for a rental home purchase or something that's going to appreciate over the long haul, that's just how I'm going to be thinking. Does that make sense? Definitely. So the first thing that comes to mind, though, is like, well, how do you prepare for saving for those like big transactions, like to give her that lump sum of money? So where are you saving your money? Are you just keeping your money in a savings account designated for your daughter? Are you putting that into a more like long term investment account where you've put money aside or gradually put it in and then you know that by the set date you're taking it out? Like, how did that look strategically for you? So our situation is very different than probably a lot of people's because we tend to work on projects where when we sell a home, there's a big chunk of money that's coming in and to preferably tax-free because we've lived in that house and we're selling it and maybe we're downsizing, but we're always looking at bigger chunks of money and having larger savings accounts. Like we purposefully would in when you're investing in real estate and you've got a lot of different projects going on like for us my safety zone is having at least a hundred thousand dollars in very liquid accounts available at any given point in time because we've got multiple properties we've got a lot of things going on covid could hit wipe out our income like that's my comfort zone is about a hundred thousand dollars not invested in the stock market or anything like it's getting, you know, a high interest rate return, but that's the way we manage because we need big flows of cash. So then in this situation, we know we've got that cushion. So I might take 
$30,000, of that cushion and help them buy a home, for example. And I've got it available. And then my goal would be, how do I replenish that? Even if it involved like a cash out refinance on a property, like I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I've got a pretty hefty chunk of money available because that's how we operate. But for another family, it may be that they don't, you know, buy and sell properties like we do. So instead, what I would suggest is earmarking, you know, like, hey, you know, let's say you've got a child and you've already saved up for college or you know how much you're going to give them for college and they're in that like 19, 20 range. Well, instead of focusing on college anymore, now all of a sudden that same money that you would have been saving, let's say it was $10,000 a year, all of a sudden goes into an account that's waiting for that moment when they're like, hey, we want to buy a house. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is you know, with your help, because it might take us 10 years if you don't help us do it, you know, in my daughter, 23, 24, like that'd be amazing for her to buy a house. And she is willing to go live somewhere where it's less expensive. Like there's gotta be compromises. It can't be, we're going to buy the most expensive house. It's like bootstrapping is the way that we're going to be approaching it. You know, where's their sweat equity opportunities? Like we're being very strategic and in what we're buying and why we're buying it and the fact that they're young and they don't have children and they can you spend their weekends working on a house. Yeah, I, I really like that, Lisa. And I think it's very helpful for people to see that that's where that money is coming from because a lot of people just think, oh my God, like how can I come up with twenty, thirty thousand dollars to give my kids or they take out loans to do or, or you know, different things. And yeah, it's super helpful to know that sounds like most of your assets are in real estate and that's how you kind of build things so you can structure deals around big events and that's one way to invest you don't always have to invest in stocks or in you know there's multiple ways to invest but the key is to invest with a plan right and it sounds like you guys had a strategic plan so for me my kids are you know younger and school is important, but not knowing how that's going to look. I already have designated like that I'm going to contribute $100,000 to college. And I've kind of calculated out for each of them. And I've kind of calculated out how much that's going to cost. So even like I plan on front loading most of that money. So if I front load it now, front load like twenty thousand dollars or eighteen thousand dollars for my older one like actually eighteen thousand for both of them because of the time difference and how much they mature like it'll usually it'll be around a hundred thousand dollars over the course of when they go to college and so I'm comfortable putting that away but in the meantime what I'm also looking at is ways that number one they can start their retirement account early because that's just money that if you could just sit and let it grow, even if you don't contribute to it can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars down the line. And so I'm looking at that, but then also trying to teach them financial responsibility because I mean, I'm building a whole platform around it. And so I feel like it's my responsibility at home first to teach my kids about money. Obviously they're too young right now, but teaching them ways like so they can invest on their own and kind of hard to buy a house as a kid, but <laughs> I'm like thinking about people like, I'm not sure if you follow the YouTube platform, Our Rich Journey, Mon and Christina are, they're originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, but they live in, they actually retired at 39 in Portugal. And then they have two girls that are 
middle school age and that their girls have like 30,000 have like saved like $20,000 in brokerage accounts just from their chore money. And so like trying to balance like all those things and teaching them financial responsibility are some things that I'm looking at, but also like the power of like what you said, being able to give your kid, first of all, you, your daughter graduated from college debt free and you have the ability or you have built in the ability to be able to give her a lump sum towards her down payment. These things are major legs up that a lot of people don't think they have the uh, capability to do, but the way that you just structured how you're doing it didn't take you like, like, like hoarding some big chunk of money. Like you just strategically set up your deals so that you will have cash to do that as needed. And I feel like it's more tangible for people to understand that right now. And it that really like just even helped me envision how I can do that for my kids. But I think that that's how generational wealth is really built about like for the things that you can do while they're alive, right? Funding their college, making sure they get out of school debt-free or whatever kind of ed- education they get out debt-free. If they start like, I feel like I was, I'm so far behind just a lot of my colleagues because I came out of school with so much debt. And so instead of working towards building my future and saving, most of my money went to paying off debt in my prime years where the compound interest, the opportunity cost of me not investing or buying a house or doing other things left me way behind somebody. And so that's what contributes to the wealth gap we see in society. And I'm committed to not having that happen for my kids. And so I think that those are excellent ways to ensure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. One thing just to add, because I think there's sometimes what's not being said. And what I want to be really clear about is that in no way, shape or form, are we hurting our own retirement in how we're being able to help our daughter and help our son. This is because we've been very, very careful and very wise about our decisions all the way along in how we structure things, but we're not going to have to help them at our expense. I think that's really messed up. And I think that people need to be really cognizant that that is they do have the ability to make kids have the ability to make more money than someone in their 40s or 50s, right? Over the course of their lifetime. And if you're not able to take care of yourself in your retirement, then you've got to be very careful about helping your children. So first you need to take care of yourself when they become adults. So, you know, that's one piece of it, but also that the more educated you become, the more you think about these things, I think amazing things can happen by just being very diligent and, and cognizant of what's possible. Yeah. I thank you for saying that because I see that often, especially with nurses that I work with, like, like work with at work as a nurse, they are drawing down on their retirement funds to provide for their kids, to buy cars, to finance their education to do all these kind of things and I'm just like that's not a wise use of your money and then what's going to happen when you retire you're even scared to retire because you know you don't have enough and then you end up working until you're 70 and 80 to try to cover those expenses and your kids like you said have the earning potential like so always harp on like not wanting my kids to have student loans 
you know, but <laughs> if they have to take student loans to get through school, for me to be able to make sure that I have funds to live off of and not have to depend on them later on, that's what they're going to have to do. But what I'm trying to do is both ends in the coin. I'm making sure that my retirement is set and their savings is set so that they can be on their own independently. I can be on my own independently and they can, and that money can continue to pass down instead of, you know, being eaten up. Mm-hmm, totally. And you know, we also live really conservatively. If we needed to go and live in a less expensive place because we would be able to, you know, retire with no debt, like we would do all of those things because it's so important to us to have that freedom that we will make different choices. And I, I also just mentioned that because sometimes we, we have like a high expectation for what our life has to look like. And we have a high expectation for what our children's life looks like. And sometimes that's not actually really serving us. And that if we were a little more flexible in kind of what the quality of life, what really causes us to be happy, like freedom to me is got a very, very high value, right? Way higher than living in a big house. Like if anything, the older you get, I'm like smaller is better. But those are the sorts of things that may be involved in some of what we're talking about, both for the kids as well as for ourselves. And so my kids, thankfully, we've just taught them to think this way. Like of all the things we've done, it's like, it's not about stuff. Less is more. Like we have lived that and they've witnessed it. And so it makes life so much easier when you're not wrapped up in all this stuff. Yeah. And Lisa, I just, like when you were saying that, I can't help but think, but to like understand people who have come from poverty or come from having to struggle their whole lives. And finally they are in a position to say, buy that big house or buy these luxury cars. And it's not like they're doing it from a place of ignorance. It's like they're doing it because they've never had the opportunity to do it. And that's another side of the coin too, because also I feel like there's a lot of societal pressure for you to have those things because you're the one who made it, right? And so you deserve it. And so giving people the freedom to understand that while those things are nice and while there is that draw there to do that, it might not best necessarily be the best choice if it's not serving you long-term, if it's not making assuring that you are able to fund all these different buckets that are going to help you and your family for the future. But I think that's just where the lack of financial education comes in. Just, just, you know, across the board is that we don't have these conversations enough. (laughs) Yeah. And therefore we don't necessarily know how to plan or we have like all of these interest pulling us in different directions. And so we kind of don't know how to turn. And so we kind of just go through our lives. And so I think being able to have conversations like this and kind of stepping back and saying, okay, so what do I want for myself? What do I want for my children? And how does that contribute to overall, whatever your financial goals are? A lot of my audience's financial goals is breaking that generational poverty, breaking that cycle of poverty. So how are you doing that? And um, consciously making those decisions. And I think the things that you talked about, making sure that your kids don't have to rely on debt, 
making sure that you can help fund those big purchases that if made early on can be significant as far as wealth building. So I think these are all good tools. And yeah, thank you for sharing that article because it really just made me think like, when I die, what am I leaving behind? Am I taking a whole bunch of money to the grave or is my money going to go somewhere where it's being eaten up by courts and, and you know what I'm saying? Like, so where like thinking about like strategically having a plan for my money as my kids progress, as I get older and knowing that I'm just not sitting on a whole bunch of money for the sake of sitting on a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. (laughs) We hope that you've enjoyed the episode and that you've learned something new to set you on your path to financial independence. If you love this episode, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want us to go over your financial situation or have your questions answered, head on over to Nurses on Fire podcast slash ask and have us do an analysis of your individual financial situation. And don't worry, we'll keep you anonymous. Thank you for listening to my mommy's podcast. But don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye.